1: Hello and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin.
2: Uh, Jennifer, welcome to Ascent Dental Solutions. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and I've been providing podcast information for our audience now for some time with the help of Doug Foresta. And I understand you're an expert uh, in uh, inclusion. Can you give me a little bit of background about yourself, please?
3: Surely. So yes, I am Jennifer Brown, and I've run a firm for about a decade in the inclusion and diversity space, meaning that we do consulting and training for lar- mostly large institutions around developing their workforce and managing their workplace towards being more inclusive, and also um, educating themselves about how to reach a diversifying world from a marketplace perspective. So, looking at clients and customers, you know, however those businesses define their external marketplace.
2: And Jennifer, what motivated you to go down this uh, this pathway? Was there something that happened in your career, something in your background that triggered uh, this area of expertise?
3: Yes, actually. I had a background in leadership development, and I was found that that topic really resonated with me, exploring what leads to human potential being realized in our workplaces where we spend so much of our lives. And I have a degree in that, but I was also an opera singer, and I have a master's in voice. So I spent a lot of time on the stage, as you can imagine, and um, I really loved uh, speaking to people and interacting with audiences about leadership. Um, but the missing piece, I think, uh, occurred to me. You know, I, I'm a member of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. Um, I have a partner of 19 years. And um, I always thought that that kind of had nothing to do with my work as a leadership development expert and a trainer. And as I matured and learned more about um, how many people that identify as LGBT and then how many women and others who are historically less represented in some of the companies that I consult to really feel on a day-to-day basis – I, I really found my voice as an advocate who'd felt marginalized and, um, you know, really troubled by certain things that had happened to me in my professional journey as I as I retooled myself and became more of a, a leadership development professional. Um, and just being aware of, of that experience that I had had of kind of minimizing my identity and, you know, parts of who I am and how many others really experience that on a day-to-day basis... Um, I just felt very called to focus my work in that in that space and be, you know, both a role model as a woman business owner, as an out LGBT business owner, but also somebody that could shine a light into organizations of all of all sizes on behalf of talent that really traditionally may feel they don't have a voice in the equation.
2: If you were to say over the 10 years of your experience, the common thread, uh, the common theme that you see in large and medium-sized and even small companies, uh, when they sort of miss the boat on inclusion, uh, is it because of ignorance? Is it because of lack of understanding? Is it just they don't even know they're doing it? Is there something particular uh, that you could tell the audience that you've seen with your decade of experience?
3: Absolutely. I I like to say diversity, the, the, the proactive appreciation of diversity and the building of inclusive workplace cultures, it doesn't just happen. It's a very, very rare organization that can take its eye off that ball or be kind of not working on it and, and see um, and, and then, you know, have a, a workforce that, for example, if you asked them, you know, felt very included on all levels, um, and really that they could bring their full selves to work. It's just one of those things. I think that we we hunker down and focus on business as usual. We get very very busy. We think all of this takes time. Um, we also assume, oh, you know, I I believe in you know I give everybody opportunity. You know, I'm very equally minded, or equality minded, or I'm progressive politically. Um, so of course I believe in these things, and I think in a, there's an assumption there that. Uh, that good intent is actually going to create uh, workplace environment outcomes. And, and that is not true at all. <laughs> there have to be certain things said and done, and they need to be consistent, and they need to be somewhat overt to make sure that you're, um, you're communicating a message um, that, that states in a positive way what you stand for and what your workplace and your company stands for, for diversity and inclusion and what that really means to you. So I think those are some of the things. The other thing that um, is is pernicious is the role of unconscious bias. And that shows up, again, it's unconscious, which is the problem. We raise it to consciousness. And we talk about in our trainings, everyone has it. And uh, we all see the world through our lenses. And we filter things because not because we're bad people, but because we need to make sense out of things and make decisions based on very little information. You know, that's the world we live in. Um, and unfortunately, some of those decisions are not always the right ones. And so unconscious bias is especially difficult with diversity, of course, because we we don't see ourselves, for example, hiring in our own image or promoting in our own image or seeking people that are similar to us and, um, you know, having community with them. Therefore, we're not being challenged to grow through you know how we how we manage difference between ourselves and others, and that's really where the richness lives. Um, and that richness is really so good for companies too. It creates more innovation. It creates um, more input, which actually can solve business problems in different ways. But we we tend to be creatures of habit and the status quo, and change is hard and sometimes threatening for some people. I think there's also a little bit of a of a miss assumption that um, if I extend more opportunity proactively to others that somehow some of my opportunity is going to be lessened. But really, D&I, as we call it, is a one plus one equals three scenario. So it's it's good for your people. It's good for your business. And you've got to really, if you're a leader um, that feels that way, you know, you know, you have to kind of think about it differently and think about what will be unleashed in your company if you were to uh, prioritize it. And and I don't think we can really know that until you try.
2: I'll share with you a personal story. I've been practicing dentistry uh, in western Massachusetts, uh, a very small, isolated area of the state. And uh, I've been doing that for about 35 years. And in the early 80s, I did uh, a quality assessment, quality assertion form to see if patients were getting a positive feedback. And an African-American young man named Jeff wrote on his comments, I love your office, but it's a lollipop white land. And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. So I (laughs) called him up and he goes, Doc, I just want you to know that everything around here is lollipop white. And I said, I I don't get it. Now, I went to a high school where there were no African-Americans. I went to college, which was pretty... um, monolithic, uh, not a lot of diversity in my opinion. So I didn't even realize what was going on. The sum and substance of it was, is I actively sought out in the community, African-American and Hispanic employees, because quite honestly, uh, one of the practices that I had was in the inner city. And now I'm happy to say I have 150 plus employees. I have uh, employees from 20 different countries. I have six different languages. In my personal practice, although uh, you shouldn't do it for uh, the monetary value, but quite honestly, uh, there was a whole vast array of individuals that I wasn't aware of, didn't associate, didn't even know they existed in the community uh, because I was living in my own little box. And uh, that one gentleman, uh, who I consider a personal friend, really opened the doors uh, back in the early '80s. And for some of our listeners, sometimes I think just as you said, you you forget your surroundings. And uh, those surroundings, I think, can uh, pay off in uh, numerous ways, not just monetarily, but I I feel pretty good. I always say to myself, my office is like the United Nations. Uh, We (laughs) have everything that you can imagine, and uh, we get along very well. And we have our problems like any business, but uh, not because of race or nationality, I'm happy to say.
3: Oh, congratulations. That's incredible. We we often say in the corporate world, which is where I specialize, you've got to see it to be it. You know, also when you think about, um, and that translates, I think, to customers uh, in terms of who do they see when they enter your business, you know, however you define that. Do they feel they see someone that looks like them, that speaks their language, either literally or figuratively, that maybe it's their cultural language? Um, People really do make decisions based on that. And um, in my world, I'm always, you know, asking my clients, you know, who did you bring to that sales meeting? Who did you put in front of that prospect? Um, and, and when they get the feedback, they're shocked, you know, oh, we didn't get that piece of work. And one of the reasons was that we, you know, sent five white guys from our sales team and, we, and they didn't even think about it. And they're meanwhile, they're selling to someone who represents a really diverse audience base or a diverse customer base. So more and more when, when business deals are made, um, both sides are kind of the buyer, I'd say side is actually evaluating the seller, in the scenario for even things as simple as who are you putting in front of me to speak to me? Like, do our values match? You know, do I want to do business with you? Um, And it's becoming increasingly important to, to have that reflection, and that mirroring happen. And you can't just have one person in you know, in the corporate world, it's like grab, you know, there's, there's one person of color there's one LGBT person that's sort of invited to every single meeting. And that, that scenario repeats itself. And it's very exhausting for the person who's being tokenized, if you will. So I often say too, it, it, the whole game, like your practice, you've grown a critical mass to the point where, you know, you have lots of different people of different communities and that's, um, you're not re- overly relying on one to be a spokesperson for an entire community, which is never accurate. Um, but you're also not, you know, unduly burdening uh, somebody with that. And um, and you're all, you're just, uh, yeah. I think it's it's really exciting to feel that there's like pressure being applied in the business world in that way, other than. It is the right thing to do, of course, diversity and inclusion is, but there is such a tangible market scenario going on that really impacts the bottom line and that tends to really convince people that need convincing on this topic.
2: Uh, let me ask you this. In your business, how do you uh, use measurements or metrics to find out the success or failure of your business. Uh, I know you've gone into very large uh, Fortune 500 companies. Is this something that you do month to month, every other month, week to week? Uh, What would be a typical program that you would suggest?
3: For sure. Metrics are really important. Um, The hard thing of diversity and inclusion, especially inclusion, is that it is a, a world of soft metrics. It's a world of that can kind of be measured best with qualitative feedback and information and you know my favorite saying is culture eats strategy for breakfast it's a peter drucker quote and Culture in that case means workplace culture. It's it's this lightning in a bottle. It's an intangible. It's difficult to pin down. Everyone else has a different definition of it, um, and so the way we capture the diversity side and the inclusion side is kind of different. Diversity side is your, your metrics around representation in your workforce. It is literally you know looking by ethnicity, race, uh, gender and uh, sexual orientation, although that's very difficult to measure, as is disabilities, very difficult because those are often invisible aspects of diversity, and yet they're very important to be able to capture, Um, and, you know, corporate America specifically has a really hard time getting people to disclose and self-identify in their HR systems, especially for uh, sexual orientation and disabilities, but... um, Anyway, the, so measuring diversity tends to be around workforce demographics mainly and historically, and that's still important. But I think that demographics are a lagging indicator of what does the culture feel like for people who have been hired into this company and who are are endeavoring to stay and build their careers and are deciding, do I feel comfortable here? And that's really on the inclusion side. And that can be measured through employee engagement surveys that ask very pointed questions about, do you feel welcomed and, and heard in this environment? Do you feel your input is considered and honored? Do you, um, Do you feel you have access to decision makers? Do you feel you have a voice? You can ask all those questions, um, and then you can cut the data. If you also ask demographic questions, you can actually cut the data and look at who is answering the same question very differently by diversity dimensions. And to me, that's where it gets really interesting. So if you ask women if they feel they have equal opportunity for promotion and career opportunities, and you ask men the same question, you are almost always going to see a difference in their answers, um, and then, but you have leaders. Meantime, meantime, who say, "Oh, everybody has equal opportunity here." So you've got this like understanding gap, um, and it's interesting if you ask the men if the women have equal opportunity. The men will say, in the higher numbers, yes, they do have equal opportunity. The women will answer that that question differently. Mm-hmm. So there's even a there's even a perception gap between the genders, and there's an assumption I think that I find mostly among men and also among white people. Uh, frankly, that that we we work in meritocracies, you know, and that hard work is rewarded, and that you know if we just sort of operate under that principle, that you know everything's going to just work out fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, typically, not true. Typically,
2: Jennifer, when you go into a, a company, large or small, do you start with the leaders, the CEOs? Do you start with the employees? Uh, or do you start with the HR department? Uh, how, how is that strategy in your company uh, spelled out?
3: Yeah, if it's a larger company, there there often is an office of diversity, or maybe there's one brave soul who has that, you know, newly added to their title, bless them. Um, they are they got the blessing to go forward and, and kind of lead the effort, but they need uh, to corral various senior level leaders and also sort of bottoms up employee voices, and they also typically will found a diversity council of some kind, which means a diversity council is best with more senior people on it who are passionate about um, driving the process for an organization. Um, I don't, sometimes in a smaller company, that diversity council may be the CEO and the executive team. Um, but, you know, sometimes CEOs and executive teams are better kept on kind of an advisory role, but not necessarily rolling up their sleeves and doing the work like a diversity council really should be. Um, in smaller companies, um or even companies of all sizes actually you have to think about the bottoms up and the tops down um imperative of the conversation the bottoms up is really the voice of the employee and the mobilization and engagement of uh the bottom half of the organization say in the conversation so how we achieve that dialogue as we do focus groups we might do interviews we might do a survey and we'll ask some of those questions that we um that we talked about earlier and at the top of the house simultaneously you're trying to figure out you know is the ceo on board are the executives on board or not Um, Is there a lot of resistance to this idea? Um, How might we educate about why this is good for business? Um, And that's where your business case is really helpful because you have to speak that language sometimes with executives who just aren't very familiar with this topic or assume, again, like I said earlier, they're going to... I don't know, resist because they have a bad association with it or stereotypes about the topic. Um, They might think it's affirmative action. They might think it's, you know, they're going to be forced to abide by quotas. There's a lot um, lot of assumptions about this conversation out there when really the bottom line about it is actually that we need diversity in our workforces and we need to lead that diversity in an inclusive manner in order to get the best contributions from people. You know, and I don't know a leader alive that doesn't want that.
2: Jennifer, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you and your company?
3: Yes, I would love to hear from everyone. Um, We're on Twitter, really active on Twitter, at Jennifer Brown. I'm also on LinkedIn and Jennifer Brown Consulting, which is the name of my company. And uh, we have a new book that you mentioned, I think, earlier. It's called Inclusion, Diversity, the New Workplace, and the Will to Change. And um, if you want to pick up a copy, we're we're requesting that people go and buy it on November 22nd, which is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, uh, because we'd like to get a diversity and inclusion book into the bestseller category. So we're really pushing everyone towards purchasing on November 22nd. Um, And then if you have some consulting needs and you need some guidance for your organization, send us an email at info at jenniferbrownconsulting.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, And if you're interested in me as a keynoter, we actually have set up a personal brand page for me with some videos on it and a speaker kit, and that site is jenniferbrownspeaks.com. So well, sorry, I that was a lot of, a lot of places to go.
2: <laughs> I can't tell you how insightful the, uh, interview was. Uh, I found it engaging. And as always, I always learn much more each time I do one of these, uh, interviews. Uh, I wish you the very best with your book inclusion and for our listeners, November 22nd is the date to get that book in as a bestseller. And, uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time today. And, uh, Congratulations on your outstanding career and keep up the good work.
3: Well, thank you so much. Thanks for this opportunity.
2: You're quite welcome. You've been listening to uh, Ascent Dental Solutions, uh, where it focuses on knowledge, information, education, and training. Uh, I want to thank our guest today, Jennifer Brown, and her outstanding uh, information. And uh, let's all try to do a little better. Thank you again for listening and uh, look forward to talking to you very soon. Thank you.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.
1: When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. And with Tone Suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.